Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm good. Refreshed after a week away. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> a week away from podcasting. A week away from podcasting, doing a bit of uh, bit of travelling. Well, yes. Had a long day out on Friday anyway. Long day out on Friday. <laughs> bit of travelling, bit of away, and then we just kind of ran out of time, didn't we? And we thought... We did. We'll yeah. have a week off. <laughs> yeah. But, we weren't uh, so organised. But we had a bit of a discussion about what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We've got some plans. And, uh, we have, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's good to be good to be back. It feels like eight. It feels like ages since we've recorded. We got ahead of ourselves a bit, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Uh, we'd kind of got then, an episode in hand, and then we had another week off. So has it been? It must have yeah, been two it's, weeks. It's, uh, probably two and a half weeks since we last recorded. Forgotten how we do it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you won't have too much editing to do. <laughs> Yeah, thanks everyone for sticking with us and listening. And if we have any new listeners out there, hello, welcome, thank you. This thanks is actually us. this is actually episode twenty seven. So episode twenty seven. There's plenty there. for you to catch up on yeah, if you've not listened are. to the twenty six. Yeah. True crime from Europe and the UK. Yes, um, and I want to say a big hello to Alex, uh, new. I'm going to say fan and new avid listener. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. I was talking to Peter in New York, very old school friend of mine, and uh, he said that he might start listening. So, Peter, if you're listening, hello. Thanks for listening. <laughs> there we go. Do you have any true crime news for us this week, Phoebe? So the big news this week is that prosecutors are going to be seeking the death penalty for Chad Daybell uh, in the Daybell case. I, we still haven't done like a, a little bonus episode on that, have we? We need to no. get that sorted out because it's definitely a crazy story, but um, we could spend an awful long time talking about the death penalty. <laughs> that could be another episode for us to discuss uh, the death penalty. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the death penalty, but I do feel that in this ridiculous case, in this evil, evil man, it's probably the best outcome, to be honest. Um, and I think it points to the fact that they obviously found some pretty incriminating stuff when they exhumed his wife who had died quite suddenly so I think it points to there must be some evidence there that shows that there was some some foul play so we continue watching I think it goes to trial in November so we haven't got that long to wait to find out and there's they're treating it as a joint trial between him and Laurie Vallow Daybell whatever she's going by Daybell so even though sort of thing yeah even though she's kind of not standing trial because they think that she's not mentally competent enough for it. But, you know, take from that what you will. Um, but they're kind of treating it as a joint thing. So I assume that they'll look for the death penalty for her as well. And I guess it depends which state that they're in will determine whether or not they get the death penalty. Yeah, so they're in Idaho. They're being tried in Idaho because um, that's where the crimes took place. So they they have the death penalty in Idaho. So, yeah. He's being tried for the death penalty. Right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that in uh, in November. He may run and run for a while, though, I guess, that one. I think it'll be a really long trial because it's yeah. huge. There's so many ins and outs of it, and it's so complicated. And I think also the fact that it's been going on for such a long time as well, um, and it took them such a long time. They've released a load of kind of sources and documents and pictures and text messages and emails and stuff like that. That's all kind of open access that you can read. Um, so they've got a lot of stuff against them. 
it'd be yep. really interesting to see what the defense comes up with or whether they go for a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty if that's put to them as an option so so many deaths around their story yeah i mean no no smoke without fire surely there's got to be some in no. there it's just bizarre just just looking actually uh death penalty in idaho apparently there have only been three executions since oh, wow. 1976 when capital punishment was resumed there oh my goodness three in it's not very many 45 years yeah well it's going to be four soon <laughs> possibly five possibly five yeah it seems to be a really long chunk of time that people have to sit on death row for isn't yeah, it so true. whether they're actually kind of convicted of the death penalty and then actually get through to being executed yeah. is a is two different things isn't it on that i am a murderer on netflix the vast majority of them get moved to get commuted to like life sentences don't they so it can take years yeah Unlike the story I've been researching for our next episode, where mm. it was the complete opposite, but we'll save that for next week. Are there any other bits of news? Well, we've just heard today that the body of the British hiker has been found in the Pyrenees. She went hiking on her own, by all accounts, last November, went mm-hmm. missing. Her partner wasn't with her. He was somewhere else in France, raised the alarm. Then a month or so ago, they found a bone. And uh, I think they've said now was actually her skull that they found. Oh, is that? The bone. Okay. They found oh, the bone was, oh, right. That's a big bone. It's quite a big bone, yeah. <laughs> Several bones, actually, I would say, fused together. Mm, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Does it count as one bone? <laughs> anyway, they found the rest of it today. So uh, mm-hmm. whether or not that's crime or not, we don't know yet. Mm, the, I think the uh, police this... have said they're not ruling out that it could be a crime. So yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that's kind of caught my attention is the huge amount that it seems of child murders that have mm. been going on recently that seem to be in the news. I mean, very, we very won't strange. go into them because it's not what we do, is it? No. <laughs> we tend to try and avoid children. Um, and they're active but, cases as well, very active, and active cases. cases which... Yeah, absolutely. But it just seems bizarre that there's so many child murder cases going on at the moment. Not good. Anyway, so tonight um, I am going to be telling you about the most dangerous woman in Britain. Oh, yeah. Joanne or Joanna. There's different... Some places call her Joanne, some places call her Joanna. I'll probably jump between the two. Uh, Joanne Dennehy was born on the 29th of August, 1982, in St Albans. And she grew up in Harpenden, in Hertfordshire. Um, She grew up with her mum and her dad, Kevin and Kathleen, and her sister, Maria. She had a really normal childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Her dad was a security guard. Her mom worked in a shop and they had dreams of their daughter becoming a lawyer. And to all intents and purposes, she was on track to doing that. Yeah. Her mom described her as really sensitive um, and a really loving little girl. And that she'd get really upset if she ever accidentally stepped on like worms or snails or things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, it used to really upset her. Oh, that she happens really... all the time here. Whenever it rains, <laughs> they all come You get out. a lot of snails at your house. I don't know, I don't know why, but on that dark path as well when it's dark at night and it's been wet walking back from the car and crunch 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 so she was really close to her parents and her sister she got good grades at school she had loads of friends then all of a sudden when she was about 13 her behavior just changed she started drinking she started taking drugs she started turning up to school drunk or high or just not going at all she fell in with the wrong crowd completely 
everything her parents did to try and get the old Joanne back just didn't work. She was a real typical bully and kind of, you know, hanging around with those bully crowds and really enjoyed bullying people. Yeah. At the age of 13, she started a relationship with an 18-year-old. I mean, there's a, definitely a, a question on how much of a relationship that is if they're 13 and 18. You know, was she was she groomed um, mm-hmm. by this 18-year-old? He was an adult and she was a child. She had just completely gone off the rails, though. She was very vulnerable and totally unsalvage- unsalvageable, it seemed. At 15, she started running away quite regularly from home. Um, and she met a 20-year-old called John Trainer. And they started quite a serious relationship. And he was really adamant that actually they'd had no sort of sexual contact until she was 16, until she was kind of legal. So at the age of 16, she ran away with John. And at 17, she fell pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then when she fell pregnant, she stopped drinking. She stopped taking all the drugs. She started okay. making all the right decisions. She really looked after herself. She really looked after her baby. She had a really healthy pregnancy. And as soon, and she, she gave birth to um, a baby girl. As soon as the baby was born, she reverted back to drinking and drugs. Right. <laughs> um, and she was really cold towards the baby. She didn't bond with her at all. Her behaviour became more and more erratic. She was drinking more. She was taking harder drugs. She was cheating on John. But then she fell pregnant again with John's second child. And again, she completely changed her behaviour while she was pregnant. Um, you know, stopped drinking, stopped taking the drugs, totally looked after herself, totally looked after the baby. Um, but again, as soon as she had given birth, she went straight back to her old behaviour um, and kind of just left John to raise these children, basically. Right. He really wanted to make the family work you know he was really in love with her he really wanted this family to work with the yeah. four of them but Joanne just didn't want any of it and one day she came home and she pulled a dagger out of the top of her thigh-high boots and threatened him okay. <laughs> saying that she wanted to kill somebody this was a real breaking point for him understandably enough her behavior had been getting worse she'd been getting more erratic and drinking more and doing worse harder drugs but she never started waving knives around and threatening people so he decided enough was enough and he just took the two daughters and they left Joanne and Joanne never actually saw her daughters again. So after John left about at this point, she's about 27. So yeah. she's had a rough few years. Her behavior's getting worse. She's drinking more. She's taking more drugs. She needs to fund it. So as what happens quite often in this situation, she becomes a prostitute. Um, she starts making money that way. She starts taking harder drugs. She turns to petty crime, stealing things, yeah, whatever circle. she can kind of get a hand on, vicious circle. And it didn't take long before she ended up in prison. Mm-hmm. And here in prison, she received her first real mental health assessment. Um, okay. and she was diagnosed with an antisocial behaviour disorder. She wasn't in prison for very long, um, less than a year. And just after she was released, she moved to Peterborough, where she met 48-year-old Kevin Lee. And he was a property letting manager and a landlord. But his thing was that he let out a lot of his properties to ex-prisoners. So a lot of his business came from people who'd been in prison. And when she met him, she told him that she'd just been released from prison where she'd been serving 13 years for murdering her father because he'd abused her from the age of five. So obviously we know that she didn't kill her dad because he's still very much alive now. And obviously her dad denied any sort of abuse. But 
it definitely calls into question whether there was some sort of abuse in her childhood from somebody, okay. which maybe caused her to kind of go off the rails the way that she yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we'll come back to that later on. But I think that's something to bear in mind. But Kevin took a real liking to her um, and decided to let her live in one of his properties rent free, which is very nice of him to do. Very nice. Yeah. But all she had to do, the condition of this was that she would become his security detail, his kind of bailiff. So basically, if there were people, if there were tenants who hadn't paid their rent, um, she would go around and intimidate them, demand the rent from them. Or was she an intimidating sort of person? She wasn't particularly tall. She wasn't particularly intimidating. But remember from when she was at school, she was a real bully. Bully. She really enjoyed bullying people. And I think she was pretty fierce. And I'll share some pictures of her. And you can can see, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to cross her. She looks a bit scary. Right, okay. (laughs) And she was in her element. She loved it. She loved going around and telling people what to do. And, um, you know, obviously she'd been in prison and she had that kind of roughness to her. And I'm not sure at what point she got it, but she had a star tattoo on her face, oh, okay. like just next to her eye. Yeah, yeah. So she definitely, you know, looked the part. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to, to help her with this bailiffing, she recruited one of her friends called Gary Stretch. Now, I don't think Stretch is his real last name, um, but he was called Gary Stretch because he was seven foot three. <laughs> oh, that's intimidating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was very tall. Um, and he had he too had been in and out of prison. And he is the tallest prisoner on record in the UK. Little fun well, fact there you go. Here. So Joanne and Gary were going around intimidating people, taking drugs, drinking lots, having a nice time of it too. So a little while after she started working for Kevin in March 2013, so by now she's 30, she met a guy called Lukas Slabajewski from Poland and started flirting with him. She just bumped into him in the street. And she started really flirting with him and she gave him her number and he started texting her and it was all very lovely. Mm-hmm. And Lucas was telling his friends back at home that he'd found a new girlfriend and how wonderful it was and how much he liked her. But this was like the 10th of March. You know, it was really early days in March. <laughs> On the 19th of March, Joanne texts him some very suggestive messages and asks him to come round. Um, so he's like, great, I'm in here. Okay. So she gives him the address of one of Kevin's properties that was empty. Yeah. Is the people had just moved out and she knew that because she'd been going around checking things. <laughs> when Lukash arrived, she ordered him to go into the kitchen and he was like, okay, what's going on? And when he did, she sprung on him and she stabbed him straight through the heart, killing him almost instantly. Oh. So this had essentially come out of nowhere. She just decided that she fancied killing somebody. She found this guy walking the street. She started talking to him. She lured him in. She killed him. A bit like she wanted to kill John back in the day. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. This time she did it. She did it. So now she had a dead body just in the kitchen, but she hadn't really thought it through. She had no idea what to do with it. So she called her good friend, Gary Stretch, and told him what she All seven foot three of him. All seven foot three of Gary Stretch. And (laughs) they came up with a plan to put his body... In a wheelie bin. Okay. That's kind of as far through <laughs> as they'd thought it. Right. She, 
she, and Joanne was not phased by this dead body at all. She actually invited a passing 14-year-old girl to come in and have a look at the body, saying, look at this dead body I've got in here. Like, she was totally not phased by this body at all. So Lukash's body was in the wheelie bin for two days. And after this, they decided that they probably couldn't leave his body in a wheelie bin for much mm. longer, for lots of reasons. Yeah. So they decided to move it. So they went and they bought a car and they loaded his body into the car and they dumped his body in a ditch just outside Peterborough. Gary telling Joanne that no one would ever find his body. But Joanne has got a real taste for murder. She'd essentially got away with it at this point. Um, She'd killed somebody and for a you know, days later, nobody realised that he was dead. Nobody had come looking for him. Nobody had found any evidence that he died. Nobody had caught up with her. And she'd got a real taste for it. And she was desperate for more of this thrill of killing people. So just remind me, where did Lukash come from? He was Polish. He was Polish, yeah. And he was in England. And she literally just bumped him. She, he, he'd moved over here. He was living over here. Right, okay. Um, and she just bumped into him in town one day and just decided that she was going to kill him. So he may not have had a huge sort of network in the uk had, no but i guess if he'd been texting his friends and stuff yeah. and then he'd suddenly stop texting Poland them people and would things have like that. missing him yeah so there was a gentleman renting a room in the same house as joanne called john chapman he was 56 he was a widow and he was a war veteran and he'd just fallen on hard times so he was renting this room in the same house as joanne and 10 days after the murder of lukash she decided that he was going to be the next person that she was going to kill. So they'd had like a couple of little petty arguments about, you know, the washing up and things like that, but nothing major. But she decided that she was going to murder him when he was sleeping. So one night he went to bed and after he was asleep, she went in and she stabbed him five times in the heart, which proved fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stabbed him so hard and viciously that the knife went straight through his breastbone um, and sliced straight through that. So she meant business. She wasn't just messing around. She she meant to kill him. Um, but it's later just, just that, for the fun of it. Right? Just, just for, for the this, fun of it. This need just that this, she had to kill. This desire that she had to kill people. Wow. Um, later that morning, she called Gary Stretch again. And um, she sang Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again down the phone to him mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to tell him that she'd killed somebody else. So Gary came round again. Now, also living in this house was a guy called Leslie Layton, who was another petty criminal who'd been in and out of prison, who was also friends with Gary and also Joanne. So the morning after the murder, they decided to tell Leslie about the body so that they've got somebody else to help them move it. <laughs> <laughs> and Leslie does what all normal people would do. And he took a photo of the body on his phone. I'm not sure why. Just to look at, I guess. So Joanne and Gary asked for his help moving the body because I think John was quite a big man. Um, I think Lucas yeah, was quite right. small, but John was quite big and they were struggling yeah. to move him. So they decided to, they asked for his help to move the body and he agreed. So they move his body into the car, but then they realise they've got another issue on their hands. And that is Kevin Lee. He's going to find out quite soon that two people were murdered in his properties and he's not going to be happy about it. So Kevin and Joanne had actually been having quite an intense affair for some time. Um, right, okay. Pretty much ever since Joanne had kind of moved into the area. And Kevin was married, but they'd still been having this affair. Right. Um, so Joanne um, used this to her advantage to lure mm-hmm. him over. So she texted him saying, fancy coming over. 
And she told him that she wanted to rape him in a dress and he agreed. So I think that they maybe had a slightly alternative um, sex life. Okay. Um, So Kevin comes over and puts on one of Joanne's sequin dresses for this role play. But before it got any further, Joanne brutally murdered him. Um, The autopsy shows that he was the only victim to put up a fight because there were self-defense wounds all over his hands. Right. Um, And he was stabbed five times in the chest, which proved fatal. So now Joanne and Gary and Leslie have got two bodies on their hands and Lukash (laughs) in the ditch. So Kevin and John had been murdered on the same day. Um, oh, wow. And they, it, you know, John was kind of in the early hours of the morning and Kevin was like the next morning. So now they have these two bodies to move. So the three of them decided to hide John's body in the same ditch as Lukash, but to put Kevin in a different ditch slightly further away. This is often referred to as the Peterborough Ditch Murders because they're all dumped in ditches. All right. Yep. So they took the bodies and yeah. they, they moved the murder from the ditches um, and they took Kevin's car because they didn't want to leave it behind at the house because they thought it would look dodgy. So they took it to a nearby farm and decided to set it on fire and burn it out. Um, this is the car that they bought recently. No, this is Kevin's car. Oh, sorry, so Kevin's Kevin had, car. Sorry, so right. Kevin had driven over to the house to see Joanne. Yeah. Obviously left his car there. They didn't want his car to be left there for a few days because people would start to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. They drove it to a farm, <laughs> decided to burn it out. I'm not entirely sure why. So Kevin's wife alerted the police to say that she couldn't get hold of him, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of within a day. Um, and it didn't take them long to find the burnt out car on the farm. <laughs> and the same day that they found the car, a walker discovered, discovered Kevin's body in the ditch that he'd been Oof. left in. Um, and it really wasn't hidden. It was just kind of out in the open. Like, they just didn't really care if anyone had found him. Kevin was still in the dress, but he had been posed to make it look kind of worse than it was. You know, it had been pulled up around him. Oh, and right, been, okay, there yeah. was quite a lot of evidence to suggest that he'd been sexually assaulted after he died. So they had really done awful things to him. They're really awful people. Yeah. The police immediately went to his phone for clues because that's Mm -hmm. just what they do, isn't it? And straight away, they came across the text from Joanne asking him to come around. So she becomes a person of interest almost immediately. So they go around to the property to see what they can find. And when they get there, they find the blood-soaked mattress, um, assuming it's going to be Kevin's blood. When they test it, they realise it's John Chapman's blood. And I think they <laughs> must have his kind of DNA on file because he was, I think he might have been in prison at some point. Right. Or yeah. there's some reason for his DNA to be on file. They tested it. It's not Kevin's, it's John's blood. And then at this point, they realise that he's missing as well. <laughs> and there's a yeah. mattress covered in his blood. Um, so the police puts out wanted notes for Joanne and Gary because they know that Gary has been kind of hanging around with her. They also know that she has been in this house. She was living in that house and that she's disappeared. Yeah. They're obviously quite distinctive because she's got this star tattoo on her face and he's seven foot three. Yeah. So there's not yeah. going to be that many seven foot three men on the run. Are there? They're spotted quite quickly because mm-hmm. they stopped and robbed a petrol station and they got their car on camera. Um, then so, you know, by this point they're officially on the run. Um, and Joanne had claimed at this point that she wanted to be like Bonnie and Clyde and she wanted oh, yeah. to kill nine men specifically like Bonnie and Clyde did. And as a side note, I always, I remember when I found out Bonnie and Clyde had only killed nine people thinking, 
Was that it? I thought they'd killed more than that. Do you honestly thought they didn't kill that many? <laughs> really? No, I thought it was like tons of people. No, I thought it was only a couple. Well, Nine anyway. policemen, I think. Oh, okay. Them. Well, we'll find out when we see the concert in January next year. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Side note, one year college. So they were spotted on CCTV. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, American, <laughs> true crime true musical. Crime. What more could you want? Yeah, I know. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> and Jeremy Jordan's in it. What more could you want? Uh, so they were spotted on CCTV at a service station, just being yep. really relaxed and chilled out. And then they stopped off at a friend's house, where they did this really weird photo shoot. Um, like posing with knives, posing outside, like licking knives. Really weird photo shoot. I will put some of those photos on Instagram. Yeah. Um, they did need some money, though. So they stole some things and they enlisted another friend called Mark Lloyd, who they knew in this area, um, mm-hmm. to kind of turn it into cash. And basically, they, they sort of take Mark hostage a little bit because he, he kind of converts this stuff to money for him. They took him in the car and they say, well, you, you have to come around with us now. You can't go because you know too much. So after a few days, Joanne tells Gary that she needs to murder somebody else and she wants it to be somebody with a dog. She needs to murder somebody yeah. else. She, um, It has to be a man with a dog. It can't be a woman, especially not a woman with children. It has to be a man with a dog. Okay. Which, again, throws back that question about was she abused as a child? Mm. Was it a man with a dog? You know, what is this kind of fascination with wanting to get something back over men? She loves this control over men. Why? So they find, walking on the road, -road, uh, a 63-year-old man called Robin walking his dog she jumps out the car and she stabs him twice in the shoulder and he manages to get away and they manage to get away and they kind of drive on a bit longer robin gets help and he's fine he recovers he doesn't die and the dog is fine too joanne and gary manage to get away but she really wants to kill somebody with a dog (laughs) so they keep driving a little bit and they see a man called john rogers and so she jumps out the car and she stabs him a total of 30 times. Wow. And he <laughs> miraculously managed to crawl 100 yards and met a woman who was able to call an ambulance. And he did survive. No way. Um, but he had horrific injuries. Both of his lungs were punctured. His <sighs> bowel was like exposed on the outside of his body. He had nine fractured ribs. But he did survive. But Joanne stole his dog. <laughs> Um, she did surrender the dog eventually though and the dog was fine but yeah it's just it just seems so weird that she wants to kill a man with a dog with a dog but you know the police hear about this they hear the description they finally catch up with her and she is arrested mm-hmm. um, along with gary but when they arrest her and they take her to the prison the the video footage of her in the reception is ridiculous she's just like flirting with the police officers laughing about it being totally chill like oh you know you're having a better day than me sort of thing and it's just this she's just not taking it seriously at all she's not the sort of person who's killed three people hidden their bodies then tried to kill two other people um she's just totally nonplussed about the whole thing 
So in November 2013, she pleaded guilty to all three murders and the two attempted murders. Okay. Um, and her sister was not surprised that that had happened. She sent, she thinks that she did that to kind of control the situation and she likes people to think that she's the boss. Um, and she was held, when she was kind of being held on remand, she was assessed by psychiatrists and they diagnosed her um, with psychopathic, antisocial and borderline personality disorders, which I think is quite... Yeah, <laughs> there's some sort of personality disorder mm. there, I would say. Um, but she she told <laughs> the psychiatrists that she had been sexually abused as a child. Okay, and This is kind of the first time that she told somebody official about this, but there's no real kind of information about you know who that was or what that looked like but right, okay. she was telling people that she'd been sexually abused as a child which i think there's a lot of kind of what she does as an adult does point back to that mm-hmm. um or was it just she hit kind of puberty and just went off the rails not sure so gary stretch and leslie layton both went on trial for a range of crimes mostly relating to kind of assisting Joanne. Right. Um, both didn't give any evidence or face any cross-examination. And on the 10th of February 2014, Gary Stretch was found guilty of attempted murder and Leighton was found guilty of perverting the cause of justice. And then, and then later on in February, they were convicted of all other charges. So on the 28th of February 2014 at the Old Bailey, Joanne Dennehy was sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, okay. And the judge ordered that she should never be released from prison wow. um, due to the premeditation of each murder. Um, he said that she was sadomasochistic and she lacked the normal range of human emotions, uh, which I think looking at her story is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. completely true. Um, and she's believed to be one of just three women in the UK to have been given a whole life tariff. The other two being Myra Hindley and Rose yep. West. Okay. Um, and then Gary Stretch and Leslie Layton were given 19 years and 14 years. So she's in prison, um, yep. but the story doesn't really end there. <laughs> when she was on remand, so before <laughs> she'd actually gone on to trial, the prison staff found an escape plot in her diary. Oh, and this yeah. involved killing or seriously injuring a prison guard and then cutting off one of their fingers and using the amputated finger to fool the biometric system in the prison. Was it very Hollywood? Um, yeah, I was going to say James, of... James Bond. That yeah. <laughs> because of this, she was placed in solitary confinement um, for two years, essentially. And this isolation apparently left her tearful and upset and led to self-harm. And then in 2018, she launched a quite a high-profile bid to marry one of her cellmates, who was Hayley Palmer. And the prison said yes, um, even though kind of Hayley's Palmer, Hayley Palmer's family said, no um mm-hmm. in 2018 both joanne and Haley tried to kill themselves through a suicide pact but it didn't work um and then in june 2020 she was reported to be in a relationship with a different prisoner called emma aitken who was 25 serving a 12-year sentence for her part in the murder of a man whose body had been dumped outside a social club another nice lady yep um but then in may 2021 it was again reported that um, Joanne and Haley, um, who had since been released from prison, intended to marry again. So I think that they were back on. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens there. Okay. Um, 
the kind of the last thing with her really is that um in 2019 she was moved to low newton prison in county durham which is where rose west was right and when she got there she threatened to kill rose west and they had to move rose west to a new prison for her own safety because they really thought that um joanne dennehy was going to kill her so wow. yeah piece rose of work. west was terrified of her a piece of work so yeah i mean there's a real debate over whether she's a spree killer or a serial killer she doesn't really fit into the category of either because mm. spree killers generally you know within a few hours of each other yeah um lots of people killed yeah a serial killer tends to be over more than a month it does yeah so she she's less than a month but she's more than a day you know she's over yeah. kind of a couple it's of not weeks quite so... mass murder either is it if it's no. um... i think mm. if i had to put her into a category i'd probably go with spree killer just that kind of impulsiveness of it yeah. yeah and the fact that she just kind of like had to kill and she had to kill and she was looking for those people and you know there's two men that she tried to kill in the same day so- I, know she, I know she killed kevin and john on the same day but um when was it she killed lucas so he was killed on the 19th of march yeah kevin and john were killed on the 29th of march um their bodies were found on the 3rd of april and then right. it was you know a few days after that that when they were on the run that she attempted to kill yeah. John and Robin. It was a very short period of time, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was less than a month that all of this took place in. Right. Right. Okay. So that is the story of Joanne Dennehy, yep. a.k.a. the most dangerous woman in Britain. Um, and she does sound like a really dangerous lady. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit like so many of the stories that we're hearing now that... It's just a something that tips certain people over over the edge, and they yeah. start killing like the, the one snap. we did last, like um, Graham Young, yeah, who incredibly intelligent, but just something in his life just made him want to kill, yeah, and and so many others that we've we've covered. Mm. What is that? What is I that just, thing? What is it that kind of triggers people to want to kill other people? It can't all be abuse, can it? Well, there must be loads of abused people out there that don't that go don't on kill to people, yeah, become murderers. Um, and also, murderers—not all murderers—you know—are abused. We had um, a conversation the other day about what if your child turned into a school shooter, and they were t- we were talking about the Columbine yep. um, children, and essentially they were both from really normal families, and you know were raised normally um there was no sort of abuse there was no there were a, a typical functioning family and then they went on to do what they did and how how does that happen how do you and i'm not gonna lie it's something i've worried about how do you know whether you've raised a murderer or not yeah or someone who's really obsessed with true crime <laughs> yeah maybe one day that someone would identify a gene or something that um Murder, well, in effect, yeah, it creates this sort of effect, this trait in people. Um, I'm sure there are people up there who have studied this, yeah, crime psychologists and what have you. Well, that's the whole point of forensic psychologists, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, what makes people do these things. And I guess it throws back to that whole nature nurture debate, which you talk about for so many different things, yeah, you know. Whether it's are you are you born a murderer or do you do you become one? Such a good question, that such a good we'll do question. Some research. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I, 
there aren't any answers, I don't suppose. No. If you've got identical twins and one of them turned out to be a murderer and the other one didn't, I'd... <laughs> it could be an interesting experiment. But, yeah, how how you'd ever prove it, it's, uh, yeah, really tricky. Okay, okay. According to Psychology Today, it seems the answer is yes or no. Better to say that there are natural-born potential killers and whether that awful potential is released would seem to depend on the environmental influences and particularly the love given or denied in early childhood. So it could be a bit of, bit of a mix. Yeah. So much comes from, and I don't think I realised this until I had a child, like how much pressure there is to get those first couple of years right. <laughs> because if that goes wrong, <laughs> you have no idea what's going to go on when they're older. And it really is those first few years that lay the foundations for yeah. the rest of their life. Um, and I don't think I ever really understood the importance of it at that time when they years. essentially, yeah. yeah, when they essentially don't know what's going on, they don't remember what's going on. But it is absolutely crucial in creating the person that they will become. We all uh, we're all two year olds at some point in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And some people turn out <laughs> to be murderers. <laughs> yeah, but the, the vast, vast, vast majority of people don't. No, that's true. I'm also really worried about him going to the park and getting smacked in the head with a swing. That's genuinely something that, that really worries me now. That is probably more worrying. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was the Russian one, wasn't it? The, the, the chessboard uh... killer. Yeah. Well, that is a very interesting story, Phoebe. Thank you very much. You are Very welcome. scary woman. Mm, yeah, really scary woman. Just, yeah, terrifying. Just mm. how she just wanted to kill people for the fun of it. And she killed three people in the space of a couple of weeks. Ten days, basically. yeah. Ten days, yeah. yeah. And uh, and she would have just who... carried on going until she was caught. She just, it was like she just had this yeah. bloodlust that just could not be she, met. She said she wanted to kill nine. Yeah. She managed three. She managed three. She's still counting. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. If you're in prison for life, you've got nothing to lose, have you? Mm. But no, a good story and, and well researched. Thank you very much for you're sharing that. You say you've got some pictures that you can share? Yeah. I will pop some photos on the Instagram page. That can be found at Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or on our Facebook page. Just search Dad and Daughter Do Death. You can email us with any questions or comments or anything you'd like to chat to us about by contacting us at daughterdodeath at gmail.com. And you can listen to our podcasts, all 27 of them now, on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google, TuneIn, wherever you yep. get your podcasts from. If you'd like to leave us a review or some stars or something, that'd be good to uh, get some feedback. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we're having a very fun time researching and telling each other these stories. So thanks for listening along. Yeah, and I really missed it, actually, not doing this. Mm. We, <laughs> we've had a little break. so uh, yeah. Back to it now. <laughs> back to it, yeah. So join us again next time. And once again, Dad and daughter do death.